Welcome to the Shop of Freaks podcast, where each week I highlight the most important happenings in the e-commerce industry. I'm your host, Paul Drexler. If you like this podcast, then you'll love my written newsletter, which you can subscribe to at www.shopafreaks.com. This podcast and my newsletter are geared towards e-commerce industry professionals, including executives, developers, journalists, investors, and merchants who want to stay on top of the industry as a whole. Now, I want to start this week off with um, a little little story because we are a week and a half away from Black Friday. So my question to you is, are you ready for it? Meaning, as a consumer, or if you're a store owner, or if you're working in a ancillary uh, industry to help store owners, how are you guys doing? Are, are you ready for this? Tweet at me, at Shopafreaks is the handle, and let me know, because I will tell you this. You know, for my full-time job, I, I do online business development for the past decade, 15 years at this point. And you have no idea how many calls and emails I've gotten in the past week alone from from store owners. Now, some are existing clients and others are uh, newer clients who had expressed interest in wanting to work together in the past. And they've written me or they've called me and they said, hey, so <laughs> this is a true story. I, I've got this store I want to get it online. Can you do it before Black Friday so we can run the promotion? And it's like, this is someone that you know I've been talking to for six months now, which all the collateral for the store was always right around the corner. I'll, we'll get it to you soon. We'll get it to you just a few weeks away. This is since spring. And so now they'd like to have their store up and running before Black Friday. But that's just one example of at least 10, not brand new stores, all of them, but some of them being, hey, we want to implement this promotion can we do it before Black Friday? And it's like, guys, I, I wish I had the capacity. I'm, I'm two months booked out for work at this point. And, you know, like, like people have been planning their Black Friday promotions some since January. A lot of folks reasonably since the summertime. So folks who are just like last minute scrambling to get their promotions out the door, good luck to you. Now, I'm doing my best to accommodate as many of my existing clients as possible. I'm just unable to take on new clients. So for the existing clients, I'm working day and night to make this happen, which is one reason why this podcast is coming out Wednesday instead of a Monday afternoon, which I'm shooting for. But um, just makes me realize how, as small business owners, we've got so much on our plate, it's hard to think ahead. But really, planning ahead for your um, mer- for your merchandise, for your inventory, but also for your promotion schedule will really make your life easier, especially if you're dependent on on a team or other developers to put together the promotions, the verbiage, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, let's, um, let's dive into this week's stories. My statistic of the week is that Alibaba recorded a record-breaking $84.5 billion in gross merchandise value during singles shopping events, the singles day shopping events, which the actual singles day is November 11th, named because the 1111, um, but they started their events early, just like some folks, you know, in, in, in USA start their Black Friday specials a few days early. So this isn't just of that one day. That's um, of, of the few days leading up to it for all the events. Now, that's insane. That was an 8.5 increase from last year. I mean, there are so given that Singles Day is, is pop, obviously huge in China and it's it's big in Europe and growing with, with China's influence. And then in America, we've got. You know, our, our Black Friday, our Cyber Monday. I mean, we are essentially just turning the entire month of November into a shopping extravaganza. It's out of control. When I was young, I worked at Circuit City. I'm talking about high school. 
I worked at Circuit City and then Best Buy uh, during my freshman year of college and stuff. And I remember the Black Friday events that we used to have. Like, we had to re-tag the entire store. So we'd go around and we'd mark down the computers and the stereos, you know, the big ticket items. They would all get marked down. But then we would take the accessories and they would all get marked up. And so I remember, like it was yesterday, taking a HDMI cable that was normally priced $24.99 and oftentimes went on sale from $25 to $16, whatever the sale is. And then we marked that up to $49.99. So you've really got to be careful out there. Like they, the stores at this point definitely focus on their, you know, their loss leaders, the things that get you in the door, their big ticket items, the washers and dryers, the TVs, the computers. Then you've really got to be careful. If you can avoid buying any accessories over the holiday and wait to get back online or just um, wait a few weeks later to buy the, the accessories, you'll save a lot of money. Don't don't get caught up in the hype of buying a $50 freaking HDMI cable when you're in the store. So that's my stat of the week, and let's go on to this week's top, what do I have for you? Uh, seven, six stories for you this week, and of course our uh, uh, seed rounds and acquisitions section at the very end. Uh, first story is that Linktree partnered with Shopify to add storefronts to its platform. And so if you're not familiar with Linktree, you might uh, recognize it after I, if you don't recognize the name. Linktree is that service that you know everybody with an Instagram account put the link tree in their bio. It got started because, you know, years ago, well, still to this day, on Instagram, you can't have more than one link in your bio. And so obviously folks had multiple places where they wanted to send their visitors. Sometimes they'd want to send them to an affiliate link, a website, a Facebook page, a YouTube channel, et cetera, et cetera. And they got tired of having to change their, you know, their, you know, people in their, in the Instagram always say, check link in bio, but you can only have one link in bio. So if you wrote that today, and the post you put link in bio yesterday went to a different link. Yesterday's post is already expired in terms of the link, but people are seeing it. So Linktree came and saved the day and said, basically, we're a little landing page with a directory of all your links. You click on it, simple page. Now, after Linktree came out, more and more copycats. There are tons of copycats at this point, and there's even free WordPress plugins if you'd like to host your own version of Linktree. They'll make like a mini Linktree-style landing page. So it definitely started a revolution in terms of uh, using uh, Instagram to link to multiple places. Well, LinkedIn, I'm sorry, Linktree since then took it a step further. Instead of just being a simple directory of links, they started adding different integrations. And their most recent integration was with Shopify. So with this new integration, users are allowed to display up to six of their Shopify products within their Linktree bio. So in other words, you click on, you know, the Linktree dot whatever, link.tree slash the person's username pulls up the thing. Instead of just seeing a bunch of links in a row, you can actually now see an embedded view of the Shopify product, similar to how their buy now button works. And you can actually purchase that proper that that product without ever leaving the Linktree platform, except probably towards the end. I haven't tested it to be sure, but I would imagine only on the final stage when you go to checkout are you probably redirected to uh, the Shopify checkout page, but everything else happens within the um, Linktree uh, pop-up or within the Linktree dashboard. So Linktree is on the move. You know, they're trying to separate themselves from just being a simple easily replicatable landing page for links obviously that's that's easy anyone can do it i could code that in about 10 minutes or less so now with their integrations they're really trying to separate themselves from the rest of the pack a few months ago they partnered with paypal to offer direct payments from users without having to leave 
the tab without having to leave the Linktree tab. So it's kind of like Linktree is instead of making their own version of of uh, not Gumroad. What am I thinking of? The uh, oh Patreon or buy me a cup of coffee you know those websites where you can uh, get donations from your viewers now with the integration of paypal you can do it directly from your link tree so i think it's i think it's super smart what they're what they're doing um because you know how long could you possibly last as 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 something so easily as just a landing page of links this is really separating themselves from the the pack but what i find that interesting this is what i was talking about in the newsletter is that you know it's awesome that they've gone from such a simple and easily to replicate link directory to basically now a full-blown business and commerce portal, um, not just with Shopify, but with, with some of their other integrations that they can have on there. As we enter the era of headless commerce, creators are finding less reasons to run an entire e-commerce dedicated website, when instead they can sell their products directly on their social or their video or their audio platforms, like, for example, with the integration with uh, Shopify made with... Um, uh, <laughs> these names get so Shopify, Spotify. With the integration that Shopify made with Spotify a few weeks ago, now you know podcasters can sell Shopify products directly on their on their page. So the point is that with with the rise of headless commerce, folks don't necessarily have to have a whole full blown dedicated website. They just need to have something like Shopify or some other you know headless uh, e commerce platform to power their products and inventory and checkout process and they can then display or power that checkout process through a number of different platforms whether it be tiktok or whether it be most recently spotify and and so on and so on and that's where linktree really fills a narrow sweet spot like they're providing a gateway from instagram or from wherever your linktree profile is basically from one platform to another but the caveat with all that with linktree is that their service only works with the linktr.ee domain. So in other words, if you signed up, you would have linktr.ee slash shopafreaks, for example. That's not real. You can't go there. But if I did, I could not have shopafreaks.com slash links, for example. In other words, I can't host my Linktree service and, and utilize Linktree's integrations and easy to use platform, I can't host it on my own domain name. So that's like the equivalent of being a blogger and hosting your blog at blogspot or wordpress.com as a subdomain. It gets the job done, but it's frowned upon because it's really not as professional as having your own domain. Now for a lot of creators though, it's the perfect solution so long as Linktree doesn't get banned from social platforms again, like they did from Instagram in 2018. Tons of you, pretty much all users of Linktree one day woke up in 2018 to find that their Linktree links no longer worked. Instagram had flagged Linktree as, as spam, partly because so many people were, in effect, putting them in their profiles. I don't know if it was deliberate by Instagram or if it was uh, just their algorithm flagging it. Now, Linktree did get that uh, sorted out and they're up and running again. However, nonetheless, it's a little bit scary for me to want to have an, an, you know, my entire uh, I, who wants to put out a, a a name like a URL that you're not in complete control over? If I have shopafreaks.com, the odds of that getting marked as spam on Instagram is small because who else is putting shopafreaks.com on their profiles? It's it's just me and, and maybe my, my two most loyal readers, but I doubt it. Probably just me. And so um, I, I wouldn't want to have a Linktree uh, domain going out there. That's, that's the risk. I also think that it's a little bit, you know, 
it's not a great value. Like to use the Linktree services is about $6 a month. Why do I want to pay $6 a month to basically advertise a Linktree branded domain, a Linktree portal? That seems like a free service and they can earn a, a piece of the revenue pie through other means. It doesn't really feel like a paid service to me. If it's a paid service, I want it to be hosted on, on my domain name. But I guess at that point, if I'm running your own domain, your own domain, you probably don't really need Linktree anyway. So um, that's what, that's that's where we're at. If I was Linktree, I would work on that GoDaddy integration and let users register domain names right through the Linktree service and, and host them right then and there. But hey, that's just me. What do you think? Tweet at me. Let me know your thoughts. Story number two. Um, okay, back in April, I had reported about a class action lawsuit that was filed against Shopify and Ledger which is a crypto wallet firm, a hardware crypto wallet. What happened is it wasn't an issue with the wallets themselves. The It was a customer data breach had exposed hundreds of thousands of, of customers' personal data. And so obviously you know, Ledger used Shopify as, a, um, as, as their e-commerce marketplace. So when that happened, the leaked Shopify data revealed who bought the wallets their names, their addresses, a bunch of personal data. I mean, that sucks as it is. Nobody wants their personal data leaked with any store. But here's why it's especially terrible with a crypto hardware wallet. It's one thing if you bought my world map coloring poster from Travel is Life on Shopify, for example, and and then, you know, your customer data got leaked. That sucks. No one wants that to happen. But really, I doubt anyone's targeting you because you bought a a T-shirt or a coloring poster, for example. But when there's a crypto hardware wallet involved, that means that there's money involved. And so the result was hackers had bought that list of leaked data. They did phishing attempts. There were threats of home invasion in some scenarios. And there was basically a bunch of scareware tactics going on to say, hey, Paul, we've, we've, we know that you bought a Ledger crypto wallet. We're coming after you. We're going to take your, your, your stuff. Or they would lie and say, hey, we've accessed your Ledger for $300 in Bitcoin. We will, we will give you back the password. Bunch of stuff went on. So everyone who was part of that that leak found themselves in a um, I, in, very scared. I would I would be scared too. What do you do at that point? And so that's where the class action lawsuit came about. Well, again, that was back in April 2020. No, I'm sorry. The, the lawsuit was April 20. The, the data breach was 2020. The lawsuit was April 2021. So flash forward half a year later, the update to that case, I promised I would give you an update, is that it was dismissed. Judge Edward Chen in California had ruled in favor of Shopify and Ledger's motion to dismiss the lawsuit because they found that the United States-based court does not have jurisdiction over Shopify or Ledger, given that the two companies are headquartered outside of the USA. Shopify is, of course, headquartered in Canada, and and Ledger, which you might not know, is headquartered in in France. And so what has not been reported yet is whether or not they are going to move the class action lawsuit to those two respective territories. I would imagine that they would. It only makes sense. Half the battle is getting the class action lawsuit put together. Now it just might be working in conjunction with another law firm from each country to bring that suit to those countries. But here's the thing. I don't know if that ruling is a good or a bad thing. And my questions to you are, does this ruling, does basically saying that we cannot, we have no jurisdiction over this 
because Shopify is in is in Canada and this company is in France. Does that set a precedent that foreign based companies aren't held liable by U.S. courts for data breaches of U.S. users? Does it make it more difficult in the future for users to seek recourse from foreign companies that operate within our borders? Now, I'm definitely not qualified to answer those questions, but I would be curious to any listeners who are qualified to answer those questions to to chime in. Like I said, tweet at me. The handle is at ShopFreaks and let me know your your thoughts. And the only thing I can really compare it to, well, two things I can compare it to. One is I feel like constantly I'm reading about Europe imposing fines on, on Google or on American companies for similar reasons. So we can't do the same for for foreign tech companies that operate within our borders if Europe and every other country there's probably countless stories of of American companies that have been fined who do business over overseas so we can't do the same or is this very unique to this situation before I I don't know now the other thing I can compare it to is you know, I'm, I'm a merchant an online merchant obviously and I'm based in North Carolina so I'm required to charge sales tax in North Carolina because I, I live here but my business is headquartered here but I'm also required to charge sales tax in any state where I have what's called a sales tax nexus. And a sales tax nexus is basically a legal connection that my business has to that state. And I'll give you two examples. You know, one is that let's say I'm I'm my office is headquartered in Nashville, NC, but I work with a third-party fulfillment center in in Texas, for example, that could constitute as a sales tax nexus because my warehouse or the warehouse that I work with as a client is in Texas. Another example is having an employee, a salesperson, a contractor. Those can also constitute as having a sales tax nexus. Now, each state has different rules. Like some states will say you have to do minimum of $100,000 in sales to customers in this state before you have to do it. So each each state is is different. But my point is that if, if I, as a, as a small merchant, have a nexus, a legal nexus in another state just by selling, wouldn't Shopify... And Ledger also have an, a nexus by doing business in USA. I mean, Shopify has a ton of employees in the USA. That's that's a given. They've you know because most of Shopify's uh, workforce are permanently remote. They definitely have a ton of U.S. employees. Clearly, most of their merchants come from the USA at this point. And they're actually it, it's strange how even though Shopify is a Canadian company. So many times they introduce new features, and the features are introduced to the U.S. market versus before the Canadian market. A, a good example being the the buy now, pay later integration. But that's one of many examples where Canadian folks are like, "Hey, wait!" Canadian merchants are like, "Why don't we have access to that? We're, we're you're a Canadian company, but it's it's par for the course." So my point is that Shopify has a lot of connections to the USA. A lot of merchants, probably most of their merchants at this point are U.S. merchants. And on top of that, most of their customers are U.S. customers. Does that not mean that they have responsibility and they're not liable under U.S. jurisdiction to keep our data protected? Again, I'm just asking the questions. I'm not the guy to have the answer. But if anyone does have answers or can speak to that and want to be on the on the show, give me a shout, Paul at ShopperFreaks.com or, or tweet at me, like I said, and let's get you on here and we'll talk about it. Next up, my third story of the podcast. $72 billion was spent on e-commerce in October. We're talking about gross merchandise value again. But customers received this surprising message. $2 billion out of stock messages. So 
there's something called Adobe's Digital Economy Index. And they, I forget how many how many websites they track, but it's like in the tens of millions of websites. So um, they found, like I said, that $72 billion was spent online, which is an 8% year-over-year growth. This is during the month of October. Everybody expected that. That part's not surprising because we knew we were going to get record growth this year, again, for, for e-commerce. But like I said, the more shocking number was how many out-of-stock messages people received in October. That's a 250% increase compared to the last pre-pandemic period, which was before January 2020. And so, again, I think they during the pandemic is off the table in terms of numbers. That must have been weird times for everyone. But if you go back before pre-pandemic, that is a 250% increase, which is amazing because can you imagine without those out-of-stock numbers – how much larger that growth number would have been, it would have gone from 8% to, to what? I mean, not not 200%, obviously, because I would imagine that folks who, you know, of that, those folks who found out-of-stock messages on one item probably just bought another item. So it's not like sales would have doubled, but I, I guarantee there was a, a percentage of folks who just couldn't find the product they were looking for and didn't buy anything at all. Now, the index also found that toy sales, groceries, and gift cards drove the increase in spending in October. Toy sales were up 50% compared to September, and grocery sales were up 34%. Um, one other fascinating part of that uh, study that they released was that Adobe reported that discounts have fallen this year compared to last. Um, electronic retailers was the example they gave, only offered an average of an 8.7% discount which is a decrease compared to last year of 13.2%. So I think what we're discovering this year is that companies are not discounting as heavily for the shopping holidays because, well, they don't have to. They're going to sell anyway. The supply chain issues, the lack of inventory, are going to drive the sales and, and wipe out their shelves anyway. So the, the, the companies really have no incentive to offer huge discounts. And I've been dealing with this a little bit with, with some of my own clients. I, I have a, cl a pretty large client in, in, in Canada who was having some own their own supply chain issues. Their warehouses that do their shipping for them in USA and Canada were, were back, were falling behind. And so they were questioning whether this year they should do a promotion at all. Um, in the end, we, we did decide to do a promotion, one that focused on AOV increase instead of just doing like a across the board 20% off everything in the store. I said, hey, how about this year? Um, I probably would have made this suggestion anyway, but I said, how about this year? We do a, you know, buy one, get one 50% off or 40% off. It comes out to the same discount as you were looking to offer the 20, 25% you were thinking, but it increases your average order value. Um, and, and that's what we decided to do, but it's not just the large companies who are going to be discounting less. I have several examples of just, uh, granted, this is anecdotal, but smaller client examples, like smaller businesses who are also finding that or questioning whether or not they should uh, discount as heavily this year. They, <laughs> I, I, Honestly, I'm in the same boat. Like I, I've got my inventory this year for products for travel is life. I'm definitely going to run out. Definitely. And so do I really need to discount it as, as, as much? I'd like to do it a little bit just to hop on the bandwagon and have an excuse to send the emails. You don't necessarily want to send a email right before the shopping holiday advertising your products if you're not doing a discount, but I am without a doubt going to run out of the inventory that I have this year for the holiday season. So why over offer a discount um, if the items are going to sell anyway? 
Speaking of Black Friday, story number four is that <laughs> this one I, I thought was a little bit humorous. Shopify predicts Black Friday is back this year. That was what the headline was. And I I, I thought it was a little bit humorous because I was like, did Black Friday ever leave? But I guess they're just, again, comparing it to the uh, pandemic last year. It must have been a weird shopping season for everybody. But now they are predicting that Black Friday and Cyber Monday spending is going to be back on track. I think didn't take a rocket science to make rocket scientist to make that prediction. Uh, they're expecting seven hundred and eighty-seven dollars on average per household spent during the shopping events this year, which is one hundred dollars more than in twenty twenty. A few other numbers that I found interesting from their survey: ninety-four percent said that they plan to shop online for Black Friday and Cyber Monday. I'm I'm one of those people. Sixty-five percent said they will be shopping in stores. Shoppers aged 18 to 34 are more likely to look for a product in-store before buying it online. 77% of online shoppers expect shipping for their purchases to be free. 84% expect retailers to cover return shipping fees. That one is tough, especially when you're a small merchant. I mean, we have no choice now. We have to compete with the bigger retailers and offer free shipping. It is what it is. And free shipping isn't even enough. It has to be free and it has to be quick. It can't be free eight-day shipping. So there's already that expectation. Clearly from this survey, the sample size, 70%, 77% agree they need free shipping. Okay, fine. But the 84% that expect retailers to cover the return shipping fees, that's a bit much. It's one thing for a retailer to lose money on the transaction fees and on the time spent and potentially the product loss if the product comes back damaged or unsellable in new condition. That's one thing. But to expect the merchants to pay for that shipping back, that's a pretty big expectation. Um, if you're a merchant, what's your thoughts on this? Let me know. Are, are you offering free shipping? Are you covering return shipping? That's a relatively new expectation from consumers, I would say. That's an expectation that has popped up just in the past few years. And I would be, I mean, I like it as a consumer. Don't get me wrong. It's a great customer service, but I don't necessarily expect it from folks um, from smaller stores that I that I deal with. But then again, I am pretty heavily involved in the industry and I think about things from a different perspective. And so if I was just a average Joe consumer who bought online and I didn't get the, uh, in, in Amazon, I'm, I'm accustomed to my Amazon Prime and, and the free shipping back. Would I be pissed if I didn't get free shipping? I I don't know. I'm too deep to, to tell you. Hey, let's move on, though. Story number five. Cart.com is going headless. Cart.com, and I don't talk about it much, but they are actually one of the original e-commerce platforms out there. And now they are extending their headless commerce capabilities. Three big things on their on their radar. One, their commerce API. They're going to enable access to their entire universe of back-end e-commerce tools. So kind of like the equivalent of Shopify's apps, whatever apps cart.com has, folks are now going to be access it through their be able to access it through their API using headless commerce. Number two, localization for global commerce. They're giving folks the ability to build headless deployments in any language and cater to other currencies and other jur- uh, jurisdictions. And number three, uh, they're creating a developer-friendly ecosystem with cloud-native and GraphQL backend 
infrastructure. So long story short, brands can now use their existing cart.com platform to power their headless commerce experiences. Um, this is obviously the direction that everyone is is going, and I won't bore you with the details of this one, but I think it's just important to know that cart.com is diving headfirst into into headless commerce. One thing I'm 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 always thinking about that like the thing with headless commerce is that it opens doors. It opens doors to not be locked into one platform, one set of tools. Everything is API based, so it allows me to create something and work with with any other software or SaaS product that I want. That's obviously important, and that's the direction that things are moving in. But then sometimes I think about just Shopify and how big of a market leader they are and how many apps they have and how many integrations they have with practically everybody and growing, like literally everybody and their brother and growing has a Shopify app. So at, at what point is that not headless commerce? You know, at, at what point is Shopify just powering the checkout process similar to Fabric or similar to another headless commerce company? Is that not the same thing? I mean, if, if you integrate with literally everybody, probably at this point, definitely at this point, they have more integrations than I would imagine any headless commerce platform on the market. What's the difference? They're practically headless. It, it's an interesting distinction between the two worlds, um, but it's something that crosses my mind from, from time to time, and especially in, given the needs of your average merchant. I know that you know there are things that the larger retailers, custom platforms can't do, and that's where headless really shines, but in terms of the do-it-yourself market, or the smaller developer market or smaller merchant market, the distinction between what Shopify can offer and what Headless can offer might really go unnoticed. One more story for you, and then we'll get into the seed rounds and acquisitions. Speaking of Shopify, they hit an all-time high. Twelve, They surged 12% to a record-closing high of $1,669.52. That was last Thursday. And they closed out on Monday at 1656 Now I'm curious where they're at right now. Shop stock price. Let's see. It's Wednesday. Woo, they closed at 1637 today on Wednesday. So they are holding that price strong. Um, I had reported last week some of the uh, major platforms' Q3 revenue. Uh, Shopify was up by 46% year over year to $1.1 billion. Obviously the biggest gain, but the other platforms, Square, Wix, BigCommerce, they all had very comparable uh, revenue increases, about close to 50%. Um, although Shopify was the stock that had the biggest uh, reaction to that report, they, they jumped up the highest. I am certainly glad to be a Shopify stock owner, and part of me sometimes wishes that it would just uh, temporarily cut in half so I can I can buy even more. I remember years ago when, when Jim Cramer got on TV and he was like, Shopify is is a scam artist platform. That guy didn't know what the hell he was talking about. And you know, yes, scammers do use Shopify because it is one of the easiest platforms to get it set up with. That's not a Shopify problem necessarily. That's just a, a, a technology choice. I mean, Shopify has done things to, you know, obviously it, it is their problem a little bit. They need to keep scam artists off their platform. But in general, it's not their fault that the scam artists were gravitating towards them. So anyway, Jim Cramer put on this whole song and dance and Shopify stock dropped from like 123 to 99. And I was like, you guys are are morons. And I bought some Shopify stock. And man, if I could go back in time and buy even more, I would be thrilled right now. 
Let's end this podcast today with the last section, seed rounds and acquisitions. I love this section. It's always interesting to see where the money is flowing in this industry. Number one, uh, GoDaddy entered into a definitive agreement to acquire Pagely, which was one of the original managed WordPress hosts. Uh, The current amount is undisclosed, but I'll be curious to see if they ever report that. Uh, GoDaddy is moving and shaking. They are trying to get in. I mean, obviously, they they went headfirst into e-commerce this past year. I talked about that a few months ago when they um, released an e-commerce platform within GoDaddy. They bought Manage WP a few years back, which is a WordPress service that I use to manage the uh, plugin and theme updates for multiple websites at one time and also do backups. And so now they're diving even further into uh, WordPress by buying Pagely, which is, like I said, a, a managed WordPress program. I, I'm not a big fan of GoDaddy as it is. I just um, don't use them for my for my domain names. I find their back-end system a little bit cumbersome to use, and I've had clients on there in the past that have used their website builders. It's really just not enjoyable to use as a developer. So I don't tend to use them very much, but now that they are getting more into WordPress and really making that the focus on their hosting, maybe maybe times will change. Next up, we've got Hive, which is a Berlin-based direct-to-consumer fulfillment company. They raised $34 million in a round led by Tiger Global Management, bringing their total funding to $44 million and valuing the company at $157 million. Next up, Fullscript which is a B2B medicine marketplace. They cater to alternative health practitioners. They are uh, trying to be basically the, I guess the, the uh, I say the Shopify of, of catering to that, that market. They are, uh, wow, they raised $240 million from HGGC and Snapdragon Capital Partners. And they're going to use that money to expand across North America. Supergrain, a startup headless business intelligence company. Actually, I had to look this up. It's when I read the article, it said a startup headless BI company, and I was like, BI. And I looked it up; it means business intelligence. So it's you know similar spec, you know similar similar spectrum as as artificial intelligence, but specifically for the business community. They raised six point eight million dollars in a round led by Benchmark, which they're going to use to expand their team and their platform. eBay. I talked about this earlier this year. They were selling their eBay Korea. Um, they completed the sale of 80% of eBay Korea to eMart for approximately $3 billion. Uh, eBay, the U.S. parent company, is going to retain about 20% interest in the Korean business, which includes G-Market, IAC, and, and G9. I um, talked about this a few months ago with, with eBay. I find it just fascinating in a negative way how while the rest of the these big players have consolidated ebay has just become like a a corporate headache they are just divided up they don't even own all of their own company in other in other countries what are you supposed to do with that last week i was talking about the you know the Saks fifth avenue dividing up their online to their offline and i found that a little bit short-sighted and ridiculous i don't understand why they would do that again when consolidation is the name of the game right now why would department stores big box retailers like that look to compartmentalize and separate between their online and their offline worlds when everyone else is is going omni-channel and trying to build bridges between their online and their offline world why separate it's very short-sighted and all about you know uh 
short-term investor profits. So same thing could be said of eBay. I, I just don't get it. Maybe there's better minds than me that can explain this, but I don't I don't get it. I'm kind of through with eBay for uh, I I'm through with it as as a, as a developer as a salesperson. I, I just um, if I can avoid working with it, I will. Two more uh, three kit. It's an online product visualization company with home furnishing customers. Um, in other words, you can visualize what your couch or your bed or your dresser looks like in your in your uh, in your home. They raised thirty five million dollars in a Series B led by Leaders Fund. They're going to use it to accelerate investments into their e-commerce platform and partner network. Wow, you guys should call me. Move, M-O-O-V. It's an online marketplace for used manufacturing equipment. They raised $41 million in a Series A, also led by Tiger Global. Tiger Global is on top of things this week. The company is going to use the funding to expand their domestic presence and also into other semiconductor hubs like Austin and New York. Hey, that's what I've got for you. Thanks for listening. Thanks for following along with, with Shopify Freaks. Do me a solid. Share this podcast. Share the newsletter, www.shopafreaks.com. Help us grow. Let me know what you think of the podcast. Drop me a review. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week.